Hey there, green future growers. Thanks for joining us today. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite Android app. And let's get growing. Hey, everyone. I'm excited to invite you to our live webinar that we're doing this week on creating your own organic oasis. And we're going to take a lot of the principles that we um, teach in free organic garden course and kind of just like hit some of the highlights in a live webinar that will help you kind of get a feel for what um, your organic oasis could look like. We've got a checklist in there. Of course, we'll probably talk about a smart goal for 2019 that you might want to take on and just um, going to go through some of the practices to help making building an organic oasis a little bit easier for you or maybe a little bit less daunting or just teach you a few secrets that will help you create your own organic oasis um, a little bit easier. So I think an organic oasis is a place that you like to enjoy and that's good for Mother Earth too. Welcome to the Organic Gardener Podcast. It is Thursday, February 28th, 2019. There's so much snow outside my window. I can't believe tomorrow's March 1st and we're supposed to get another storm this weekend. Um, but I have somebody in Texas. I don't know what their weather is like, but I'm so excited because I've been wanting someone to come on and talk about organic landscaping. And I found, um, I can't remember how I found his Facebook page yesterday, but it's called hippie fertilizing and he's just going to be the perfect and he's a rock star millennial so i know we're going to learn tons and like i went through his facebook feed and was just like share 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 um so from league city texas here's arthur to talk to us about hippie fertilizing welcome to the show arthur hi there thank you um uh, thank you for joining what us what would you like to know about hippie fertilizing and uh, actually, how you found me was was you shared a micro prairie article that I had shared from another page. Oh. I remember. <laughs> so you posted something, and then I shared it, and then yes, you liked it, and then I was looking at who liked those things, and then because I kind of sometimes I go look and see who likes something, and because uh, I'm always looking for guests. <laughs> Oh. And uh, and just curious to know, like what what people are liking our page and things. Um, oh, absolutely. So, well, first, I guess, tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are and how you start. Like, how long have you been landscaping? And where what you what you tell me? League City is like south of Austin, Houston, Houston. Houston. Sorry. Yeah, I'm a H town baby. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so I'm 31. I, I grew up here in Houston in the Leak City area, uh, in between here in Galveston. And I started, I've been in lawn care and landscaping and tree service for eight years. I started out just, uh, with stuff from the pawn shop. Honestly, I had a little bit of money. I was like, how can I learn something and grow as I learn? And lawn care seemed to be, you know, something that would keep me moving because I hate to sit still and something where I could, I could, uh, kind of pay as I go, learn as I grow kind of thing. And it's happened very successfully. I would say it's definitely had some pitfalls and some, some back and forths over the years. Cause I started out like a lot of other people do, uh, just doing what we know and often what we know is what we see on TV, on commercials, or what friends tell us, right? And I found out the hard way, uh, that doesn't work very well. You put down some weed and feed, burn some lawns, spray some weed killer, get really sick. You're like, no, doesn't look like a good idea anymore. I'm going to get older one day. So I don't want to be uh, killing myself to make a living. And then I learned about organics. And I swear, ever since I did, it's been such a wonderful thing not only a great way for me to have a business that i can do something positive but also it's been a very fun amazing way to educate others on the importance of our environment how we affect uh how we affect it how we affect ecology and how supporting soil biology is really the best way to go 
and it's the most uh, environmentally friendly and supportive, and it supports our own health. So it's just good all the way around. Well, that's what I love to hear. And the number one question I got last summer was, how do I take care of an organic one and people just seem to be like baffled by it and so do you want to give us some tips for like how people can build their soil health in their lawn uh, well i would like to start with saying like what my number one question is is how do i kill the weeds right that is always whether people are going organic or not that yeah they say like the same thing question. to me but what do i go to the store and buy but what do i go buy and and, and here's what you do. It's it, like a lot of people don't like my answer in the beginning because it's a re-education process. Why is it a weed? Why do you want to kill it? Do you know most of the weeds are have benefits to the soil? So they're not really weeds. You're just trained to think they are because of silly commercials from those big companies out there that want you to buy their stuff. And it's, you know, it's not worth it. All right. And how do you take care of an organic lawn? You sit back and relax and let it grow. <laughs> uh, but but another, a, a good way to start this, you know, because I know there's lots of people out there who are like, I have to do something. Go to the grocery store. Get an organic brand of molasses. Mix it with water and spray it on everything. Because molasses has tons of iron, calcium, magnesium, potassium, B vitamins, and lots of sugar that feed the soil microbes. So, you know, I know people are like, oh, I got to jump on this right now. Then go to the store, get some molasses, spray it on your grass, sweeten up your day. You know what's so awesome about that is like I put like a tiny bit of molasses in my coffee every morning. And then uh, if like my coffee cup gets cold by the end of the day, usually there's like a half a cup. I just pour that on my plants. And I wonder if that helps them grow too. It does. Boost of molasses in the coffee. Well, the molasses and the coffee, coffee has a very low consistent rate of nitrogen. And especially if you're, if you got a flowers, say roses or azaleas, other acidic loving type of plants, coffee is really good for that. I actually put it like just on anything in my window, like my basil or my lettuce. Like when I have my classroom and garden, I would pour the bottom of my pot, which was always certainly bigger over there. Because <laughs> who has time to drink when you're in the classroom? Like you think I'm going to drink this coffee today and it never happens. <laughs> Right. I love that idea. Go get some molasses and spray it. Mix it with water. So like a bottle of like a cup of molasses for like a gallon of water or probably five gallons of water. Um, well, I, I use a, a tank, right? I have a hundred gallon spray tank on my truck. So typically I'm putting about a quart of molasses, which I think is what, uh, like 32 ounces. A gallon is 128 ounces, like a quarter of a gallon is what I use for about 50, 50 gallons of water. But I would say for the homeowner who's going to do this, your typical hose-in sprayer is, uh, has a 32-ounce reservoir. So in that 32-ounce reservoir, I'd say put 8 ounces of molasses in there, fill the rest up with water, and mix it real good so that it goes through the sprayer. And spray it on anything to your heart's content because it won't really hurt anything. It's just going to make your grass and your plants greener. Excellent. This is so fantastic. I'm so glad I talked to you. Okay, so then what what else do you tell people about building uh, their soil biology or soil health? Like, like I follow, you know, a few simple rules. Number one... Like, if I can't touch it with my bare hands, I don't want to use it. That's a, Like, if, if you think you're following an organic program, but you're using, say, an herbicide or a pre-emergent, number one, read that package all the way. And if it has directions that say you can't touch it with your bare skin, then maybe you should question why you're using it at all. Because we go walk on our lawns. We play on them. We have pets, right? Uh, 
and, and our pets yeah, have smaller livers and kidneys, right? So they have yeah. smaller filtration systems in their bodies. So they can't handle stuff the way we can. So they're going to be like five times more affected by it. Oh, it's not that bad. Well, you know, our pets, you're not going to tell your dog, hey, you need to wait 24 hours before you go on the lawn. Okay, pup? <laughs> I know. I hate those little yellow flags that say don't walk here for 24 hours. And I'm like, do you even want to let your dog walk there ever? And then the other thing besides pets are like, where do babies learn to crawl in the summer? Exactly. Oh, I remember before I started hippie fertilizing, I had a lawn maintenance company. And when I kind of went all organic and started learning about this stuff, I had a customer. I was using organic products on her lawn. She was like, yeah, AJ, it's, it's really looking a lot better, but how do I kill these weeds? Common question, right? She's like, my little, my little one-year-old girl is learning to walk. I want her to walk on the lawn without weeds. I was like, hold oh on, ma'am. Let me, let, me, let me explain this to you. Right, let me ask you a few questions. So, so you want your little baby girl with her little bare feet to walk on a lawn that you want me to poison because the weeds. And I heard her pause for a moment. And I could just hear in her voice like it clicked. Like she was like, oh, I get it. Like, yeah, it's not worth it. Your little baby girl is way more important than what you think weeds are. And to me, sharing that message is super important. And so feed soil first. It's simple. Don't fight stuff. It's a lawn. Relax, guy. <laughs> I hear it all the time. Hey, Jay, my lawn is killing me. No, it's not. And if that's the case, call 911. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> I'm sorry. I like to be a little silly about what I do. <laughs> you're really funny and that's a super powerful story that first story that you told us about the the woman and her baby like you're a great storyteller so keep talking i'll be i'll be quiet no no uh like uh, so to go on to how to feed soil biology what i've learned and experienced is number one if you've ever heard of humic acid it's amazing. Whatever you've heard about it, if you've heard good stuff, it's true. If you've heard bad stuff, those people weren't using it right or they weren't using enough because that stuff is just incredible. It's sprayed on everything uh, Wait, uh, in conjunction with molasses. I have not heard of that. Humic, humic acid is a, it's a byproduct or it's a, it's a product typically from what's called lordanite ore. And it has lots of minerals. It, it chelates minerals. It opens up clay. It, it neutralizes toxins. Like the benefits of it in soil are such a long laundry list. I could not explain it all in one little talk. I couldn't even explain it all. I'd have to do some, I'd have to go back and like make a whole script because it's some serious stuff. And, but it's good for trees. It's good for roots. It's good for feeding microbes good for helping out boost fungal activity in soil, which is super, super, super important. And a lot of times people get freaked out like, oh, fungus, it's bad, or bacteria, it's nasty. And it's like, no, bacteria is really good. So is fungus. We see like three types or four or five that are bad, and there's hundreds that are good. So before you try and kill the bad stuff, ask yourself, are you even working on feeding the good stuff? You know, and and so humic acid is amazing. Uh, the other stuff that I really love is plant-based amino acids. That basically means like alfalfa meal, cottonseed meal. Uh, I'm not really a fan of soybean or soya type of fertilizers, but they're okay. They're definitely better than say a a big brand of chemical fertilizer. But, yeah, plant-based amino acids work amazing. And they don't smell like manure-based stuff, which I'm not against. A lot of people ask me all the time, well, AJ, you do organic fertilizer. So you're saying you spread crap everywhere? I'm like, no, no, actually, I don't touch animal-based products at all. Not because I'm against them. It's just because typically they smell a little bit more. And being in business, customers don't like that. 
I know when Mike makes his chicken manure and he opens the bin to water, like I'm like, oh, how do you do that? <laughs> it smells really strong. I give him a lot of kudos and cleaning out the chicken pen, but you don't have to do that very often, fortunately. And the chickens are here for their manure, so. But anyway, uh, and and chicken litter is great. Poultry litter is amazing. It's it's a good nitrogen source, and when it's like diluted really well because sometimes that high nitrogen source can burn stuff, even though it's natural, but when it's diluted yeah. well, it's excellent. And it's, it's what I like to consider more of a true slow release. Uh, Cause we hear a lot about that in fertilizing ones, right? Oh, well I used a slow release fertilizer. Was it really? Uh, I've never heard of a slow release Red Bull. Haven't heard of it. And to, so the truth that I know from the homework I've done is there's not really a, a quality slow release chemical fertilizer, but when it comes to uh, organics, they are slow release because they have to be utilized and eaten up by the bacteria for them to release the nutrients to plants. There... I haven't heard of like any of that stuff, like a slow release anything. <laughs> but I'm not a, you know, I'm not in the, I don't know, what do you call it? Like in the business, you know, I don't do lawn care. So. The the lawn care business. Yeah. Yeah. But this and, is fascinating know, have... to hear about all of these things. Like I'm thinking, like, do people ask their landscapers these kind of questions? Do they even realize they're doing a lot of this stuff? That's what I think. Was most people are just like don't really even pay attention to what their landscaper does. Oh, and again, it goes back to like, you only do what you know. And a lot of what you know isn't, may not necessarily be right. So uh, it's important to get the right information out there. Like if you did a Google search right now, mm -hmm. you could look up uh, how to kill, you know, treat brown patch, right? That's that's a good common one. Yeah, and there's to tons of that in my patch. mom's town. Like they have like all these bear species. Oh, which like drives me nuts. All over <clears throat> town. It was like they had that problem, which I think they told me was like crabgrass. And I kept telling my mom, you should put clover in your soil and you should take your soil over and get a soil test at the extension service. Because the other thing that's all over her town is um, like this kind of bindweed stuff. I don't know what it is, but it's like this vine running through all their lawns. And so I'm not a super plant expert. Like it may be invasive. I'm just now starting to learn about native plants and and honestly, as much as I'm passionate about this, I'm just now learning about prairies and, and wetlands because they're super important. And I think once we get more knowledge about it and put it out there, we can kind of emphasize, hey, instead of looking at your lawn like something to like point fingers at and judge your neighbor on, we should look at it as our little environmental green space and how we're impacting our environment and our community. All right. So check this out. I want to give you some yeah. numbers. Perfect. On 4,000 square feet of turf, right? Do you know what the average watering recommendation is? And, and this doesn't apply to necessarily 4,000 square feet, but if you've ever heard about anything about lawn. I have no idea. Uh, it's, they say it's one inch per week, right? Is that what you get for rainfall in most places? An inch per week? That sounds like like Portland or Seattle, but I have no idea. Truth be told, I mean I live in Dry Montana. <laughs> I in so. here, oh my god! This in like Texas. lately we've had rain for two months. <laughs> There's a joke going around right now here that's like, oh, it rained twice this year, once for thirty five days, once for forty five days. Oh my gosh! <laughs> no joke either. It's been just wet. It's crazy. So, We've had snow since like February 1st. Like we didn't have any snow all winter. And like now we have like, and we're getting this huge storm when like a couple of years ago, we didn't even have snow now. Like I remember Mike being like, I want to go out and turn the lawn, turn the beds <laughs> at the beginning of March. And now we're, it's not letting up. Anyway, uh, so what's the w recommended water for 4,000 square feet an inch? Over. 
it's one inch per week is what water recommendations are. So for 4,000 square feet, that equals up to almost 10,000 gallons, 9,920 gallons. Right. So that would be, that would be a month. We hauled water for years. Uh, like we had a 1500 gallon water tank, like a water truck, like, like, and then we would go fill it up at the Creek with a pump and then bring the water up here. But that mm-hmm. was only like for garden like and washing like potable water we had to haul in buckets. So I know all about what does uh what did you say that was? Did you say that was ten thousand gallons a week? No, no, no. It would be a month. It it would be nine thousand nine hundred and twenty gallons in one month. And so let's let's take another look at our lawn on the four thousand square foot, right? Uh if we can absorb and I know this is a crazy number, but it is possible. Eight inches of rain in, that, in an hour or just absorb eight inches of rain in a single day. Let's just say a single day. That's over 27,000 gallons on the same 4,000 square foot of turf. And then here in Houston, we've had lots of flooding. I'm sure even though you're, you said you're in Montana, right? Yeah, I'm in Montana. Uh, I'm sure you heard of Hurricane Harvey. Yeah. It, it, it was huge. It was a huge impact. It flooded a lot of stuff. And I, I say that and I'll continue to bring it up in my videos and some of my articles because it devastated a lot of people and quickly people forget like the tragedies that happened, you know, but I don't because I work in this stuff all the time and people say, Oh, well, it hasn't rained for three weeks. We're going through a drought. I'm like, you don't remember a few months ago it rained for like two months straight. Hold on, guys. And then when it's raining for too much straight, I'm like, it's Houston. We're going to get six weeks of a drought. Don't worry. It's going to dry out. And so I bring all this up because part of my passion and love and, and understanding soil biology and everything is, is how much it could take a load off of our in- infrastructure and our sewers and our drainage. If we could absorb 27,000 gallons per lawn, roughly, uh, when it rains real hard, that would so much drastically reduce our flooding. But people don't know that. Well, you know, when I interviewed this woman from the um, farm on the roof in Brooklyn, uh, New York, they were able to even start their whole huge thing because they got a huge grant from the city of New York to reduce the water that went into it was some kind of water infrastructure grant that they got like a $200,000 grant to build that I think um so yeah cities need to be thinking about all those things but I am kind of confused so wait do you but do you normally like what do people have to do to absorb like how do they absorb 27,000 gallons if they get eight inches of rain do you normally get that sounds like a lot of rain in a single day it really is a lot um no like two inches of rain is a super heavy downpour but that's my point uh is that if you could handle so much more then our regular nasty rains wouldn't seem as bad because yes eight inches of rain how do you help your lawn absorb more rain so it doesn't like run away and and just like, like the one problem i'm worried about we're gonna have this year is like yeah we have all this snow but it froze so hard before it snowed instead of all the snow soaking into my lawn it's gonna run off because there's that sheet right. of ice underneath it and it's gonna take a lot longer for that sheet of ice to thaw like i think we're gonna have a really hard spring here this year because it's um, so solid before it snowed. So how in the dry? So I wouldn't like, how do you necessarily get that know how to, to approach absorb? that situation. Because no, but we tell us about snow. Yeah. Sorry. And we don't, we don't, you know, it's definitely not freezing here except for maybe like three days out of the year. And so how we get the soil to absorb more is we feed it. The more you build up soil structure, the more you feed soil biology, the more porosity you have, the more absorbability you have, the longer you let your grass grow. So here in, in, in my area of Texas and also like along the whole southern Gulf Coast, 
you have a lot of St. Augustine grass. And a lot of these people want to cut it down to like two inches. That drives me insane. Because if you read up better information that's out now, you find out the best height to cut your grass is four inches. And so I like to tell, also tell my customers and, and people watching, listening, like, hey, it's not a golf course grass. It is a lawn turf grass. Let it grow. The more you let it grow, it'll naturally choke out weeds. But also think of it as the more you let your grass grow, the more those roots are growing. The more those roots are growing, the more they're digging into the soil and opening it up. The further they open it up, the more they can pull that water down into there before it runs off. And also the longer that it is, the more it can... I want to find a good way to explain this. Well, I'm sure you've been in storms where it's just raining buckets, right? Sure. So when it rains buckets, the longer that grass is and the more plant diversity you have in your lawn, the more it'll break up those big water droplets and that heavy, heavy rain. So the smaller it is, as it as it gets broken up by like the little leaves and the blades grass, it'll it'll, it'll go down easier. Uh, you know, I, it was so interesting one year, I can't remember how it happened, but like Mike was mowing the orchard and I don't know if he ran out of gas or something, but it was like the last day we got rain of the summer and the outside of the orchard where he had mowed was a lot shorter than the inside of the orchard. Like, you know, he's going like in a you know circle or spiral or whatever from the outside in and that inside part that was like so much taller was closer to four or five six inches i could not believe how healthy that part stayed all summer through that whole drought and then we didn't get rain for like almost three like august september sometime in october it was like a really long time and you could totally see the different whereas the outside where he had mowed that last day just got burnt and just like the difference was huge but the other question I'm going to ask you is about more plant diversity in your lawn, because I think that's a big part of it is people like, should people have like clovers and different plants mixed in? Or do you mean by diversity, like the, in the soil? Uh, both. So the more you feed your plants, the more plant diversity you do have. So clover, uh, let's go to that. It's amazing stuff that is misunderstood. Cool. It naturally pulls nitrogen in from the atmosphere into the soil. It's a legume plant. And so back in old farmer's almanac, it used to say like, sow clover into your land because you would get free nitrogen. Who doesn't want free stuff? And we just kill it <laughs> because we don't understand it. <laughs> and, and so dandelions as well. I like to explain dandelions like little uh, oil rigs. They have deep tap roots and they're pull, mining up calcium and other minerals and also opening up that soil again with those deep tap roots. Yes, plant diversity is amazing. And the, the more plant diversity you have, the less likely you are to be affected by something like brown patch or down here with St. Augustine, you've got chinch bugs. Chinch bugs and sod web worms. Well, if you didn't have just sod, you couldn't have sod web worms. And if you didn't have just St. Augustine, you wouldn't have chinch bug issues. Kind of funny how we tend to create a situation where we create more problems. So it's like, I want this. Like I like to say, uh, people talk about I'm a hippie and I go organic. Well, AJ, why do you drive a diesel? Well, guess what? I can't pull 20,000 pounds with a Honda Civic. It just, it's not, it's not a workable deal. Otherwise, I would have one, you know? And you pull can't with have, what? what's that? Wait, what'd you say? Why do you, you can't pull it with a what? Uh, with a Honda Civic. Oh, a Honda Civic. <laughs> yeah. Or a smart car. Like I think they're great, but I can't use one because it won't pull 20,000 pounds. And sometimes I got to pull 20,000 pounds worth of soil, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> like we, we kind of have silly expectations for stuff. And I, of course, I see how our expectations are with lawns. I want it to be weed-free. Why? You know what kind of, like, oh, it's been raining for like two months straight here. 
the if you just have grass alone, it really can't stand it as well as if you have different plants in your lawn. So to go back to feeding the soil biology, when you have different plants, they feed different sets of bacteria because all plants send out what's called exudates. I'm sure you've heard of that, right? Yes. Keep going. Yeah. It's, it's, it, <clears throat> it's something that most people don't know about. You see, if you have clover, dandelion, even crabgrass, crabgrass has amazing root structures and they're also mining up calcium. But all these plants, through their photosynthesis, which makes the plant food, right, is not really feeding the plant as much as we think. It's really feeding fungi and bacteria. And so the more plant diversity you have, the more fungi and bacteria you have. So it's essentially like building up a super strong soil immune system. And that's why I kind of go back to like, hey, I think it's wonderful to have a beautiful lawn, but let's let's mix it up a little bit so we can we can build up that soil immune system so we don't have to fight off these silly little problems like brown patch and chinch bugs. So how does somebody like can they just like if they already have lawn or turf or sod growing, how do they mix it up? Can they just like add clover seed in or are there like any special practices for that kind of thing? I'm sure there is special practices. I think what would be awesome is to do a light topsoil top dressing and put some uh, like wildflower seed down. Because I'm, I want to start incorporating uh, what's con- coined as an urban meadow or a micro prairie. Cool, uh, I love but this. the other, I keep thinking like, like, because I'm thinking about all those flags on my mom's neighborhood, and like, because everybody has like lawn, sidewalk, and then this little edge of the, you know, more lawn, and like, wouldn't it be pretty if those were like planted in, you know, like a pollinator border? Oh, that would be so beautiful. Yeah. And and low maintenance. So think about it. If we had that pollinator border, not only would it would support butterflies and bees and other beautiful little creatures that help out our ecosystem, but we're also talking less maintenance. We're talking less emissions from gas like mowers and weed eaters. Uh we're we're talking better absorption in soil. We're talking about less using less water so you use less of your city's resources for something that doesn't really serve you a purpose. You know, except like the urban meadow is beautiful. The things that are pretty in nature calm you down. They release stress. They help out with your blood pressure. They help out with with uh what is it? Like the more stress you have it can affect like your joints it can affect your whole body right so if you kind of just appreciated some flowers and different plants you'd have less stress better blood pressure ecologically and economically it just makes sense to give up our i like to kind of say our true green version of a lawn (laughs) i I used to think it was important so you would you would encourage realize, people like, to mix wildflowers in with their, or you were saying absolutely. That, uh, like, do you have any secrets for people for growing wildflower mix? Because I find a lot of times you buy those like wildflower packet seeds and you toss them out there, and then I have not had success getting them to grow. Probably because I didn't water them, and I probably threw them out like in August or some dumb thing. Like I'm not always the smartest gardener. I've learned a lot <laughs> since I've had my podcast. Anyway, I I just let my backyard go nuts. So the thing that I have learned here recently is something that helps seeds start is fungal activity in the soil. The more fungi that it has around those seeds, the better chance it is to germinate and grow. So if you're gonna start with like, say a little flower mix or something, use a quality compost. And a quality compost is vastly different than what you're gonna find at a big box store. Because a big box store is just like mulch 
that hasn't even been aged properly. Uh, but compost, real good compost, has been aged properly, and it has a beautiful biodiversity in it with bacteria and fungi. So if you're going to put down any kind of seed mix or even plant flowers, vegetables, anything, I'll tell you all the time, use compost because it's going to drastically increase your success. So that's so funny because while when you very first started talking, I made myself a note. Don't forget to ask him what he thinks about compost. But like, do people like where do where do you get your compost? Especially if you're not going to get it at a big box store. Like, do you teach people how to make it at home? Do people do that? Like, I would think that would be a great outreach for landscapers to help people because like my mom's I don't know it seems like a struggle like I don't think any of her neighbors compost like the composting thing in her town is is like non-existent like not yeah non-existent and unfortunately it uh, wasn't like that when I grew up but it seems to be now well where do I get it I have my own compost in my own backyard and I only use it at my house. I don't use it on any of my customers' lawns or anything like that. But I do notice that in my own compost. Sometimes I'll, I'll mix it in my flower beds if I'm doing some transplanting. And I've had wonderful success. A couple of years ago, I transplanted a bunch of flowers from the front yard to the backyard, like right before freeze. I didn't cover my plants. I didn't do anything. I'm like the epitome of a lazy gardener. <laughs> and guess what? None of my stuff was bothered. <laughs> my Everyone else was like, AJ, all my flowers died. Everything died. The freeze killed it. Not mine. Mine just were still blooming in winter because of compost. Uh, however, for my customers and for everyone that I doesn't you know, have the space or time to do composting, I get my stuff from two places. The ground up is an excellent excellent uh compost manufacturer here in houston and nature's way resource they're both have quality compost and then i get another soil mix from a place called new earth all three of those companies make quality soil and compost products but for say uh i, I would guess if you're all over the nation you're going to want to look at a quality nursery and ask them where their compost comes from. Because quality organic nurseries know where the good stuff is at. So don't go ask the dude at Home Depot or Lowe's because he don't know anything besides what that package says. <laughs> go ask the person at your best nursery. And even if you say, well, this nursery is kind of expensive. Well, it's really expensive to replace stuff a lot too. So just go get the good stuff the first time. Yeah, and you know, now that you mentioned that, um, my mom lives near this botanical garden, and every Saturday they have quality soil and compost. I don't know, they call it black gold that they sell there, and you can go on Saturdays and they have like between certain hours. So that is a good point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, and it is black gold. Yes, you asked what I think about compost. Anybody out there that's going to hear this and listen, if you have like thought about it, quit thinking about it and just compost your lawn and your plants and your flower beds. Cause this stuff is amazing. Um, and when's a good time to do it all year long. Some people tell me, well, AJ, you can't do that in summertime because compost is too hot. Not if it's quality compost, it'll make that soil thrive. It cools down really quickly. It has a good nitrogen to carbon ratio. No, Always a good time to compost all the time. I do it all year long here. Yeah, I don't know. I always think it's funny because, like, I usually talk about like what I call clean garden jobs. I kind of like cleaner garden jobs, unless I'm like down in the garden for the day with like my work clothes on. But I think composting is a clean. Like, I I don't know. To me, it's not that hard to save my greens. And then, since I think I'm part rabbit, I have a ton of greens. But like, I don't understand why people don't want compost. Like, to me, it's like the easiest thing in the world. But um, and then like I'm very passionate about not throwing food waste away. But that's like for a different conversation. So um, but it's still a very excellent thing to bring up because I don't throw any food waste away either. At my home, 
we put it all in the sink until I've collected enough so like I'm going to go walk out to the compost pile. <clears throat> so it is an excellent yeah, way to reduce we, waste. Yeah, and then like if I'm doing like a big project, like I'll, I usually just like peel things on newspaper and just carry the newspaper out like right while I'm cooking. Or sometimes I'll take my cutting board out like three times just in the middle of a meal and just throw it on the compost. Mike, like I always talk about, my favorite anniversary present was when he put the compost bin like right outside my kitchen. That's awesome. <laughs> that's that's uh, making things efficient and thinking about it, sweetie, huh? Yeah, because like our garden is actually like kind of the bottom of a very small hill, although it sure seems steep when you're going to feed the chickens in the icy snow. But um, but yeah, a lot of times you don't want to like I wouldn't want to walk down there in the middle of cooking dinner. But like now the new bin that's right outside, we have like five compost or seven. I don't know now because he has like this thing I call the mini farm and it has like three right in it alone. And then there's the one by my kitchen and the one down in the regular garden and one outside the fence, I think, for like stuff that takes a really long time to decompose. Yeah, I that don't know. Awesome. I'm really big on the take care of your food waste, keep it out of the landfill. And most of it, especially if you're eating a lot of fruits and vegetables and stuff, is yeah. It doesn't really cause a smell like people think. It doesn't attract a whole lot of bugs that are going to bother you. Like, I know, that's what I'm like. Know, if we the... don't have problems here in the wild, why would you have more problems in a city? Like, I don't know. I guess they have raccoons. My mom's town is inundated in rabbits, but I still feel like, I mean, we live in the woods. We have every animal here. <laughs> I don't know. And I... Like I help out with this organization, uh, okay. or at least I, I, I have been for the last few weekends, and I did last year. It's called Clear Creek Environmental Foundation. They grew through a body of water called Clear Creek, and then there's also Clear Lake, and uh, quite a few little systems of, of bodies of waters all connected. We'll go out on boats and pick up a whole bunch of trash. In that, we see egrets and, I believe, cranes, like be beautiful birds. Uh, turtles, fish, like wildlife is so important. And we love to look at it, say on, on TV or on pictures and this and that and the other. And it's like, if we were kind of more environmentally in tune, we wouldn't have to look at the TV to see nature around us. We could have a little beautiful wildlife habitat all around us. And we don't have to worry as much as you think about stuff affecting our homes like a, a funny not it's not funny maybe but uh something i like to point out to people because often along this line of stuff i get asked about pets and how to kill bugs right yeah and i'm like well why do you want to kill a bug what did it do to you you know on average in the u.s according to the cdc uh website it says 1.6 people die a year from a spider bite 1.6 i'm like dude you're more like car wrecks lots of things are more prevalent in danger than a spider or a cockroach <laughs> so i'm like don't, just relax not gonna hurt you it's good for uh, natural pest control because they eat up flies and mosquitoes And so here in hippie fertilizing, I just want to try and do my best to be environmentally and ecologically conscious about the impact that we make. Excellent. Well, I love everything. I love your Facebook page and the things that you share and the things that you're doing and that you're working so hard to do this and that you're a rock star millennial. And, uh, well, so if somebody wanted to start and, you know, a landscaping business like yours that doesn't use, like, do you have any advice for how to get started, you know, teaching people things yeah. like this and like getting customers and that kind of thing? There's a few books I would recommend to everybody. They are teeming with microbes, teeming with fungi and teeming with nutrients. If you read those books, you will be like light years ahead of most of your competition because most of your competition knows about the stuff at 
you know, Home Depot, right? They don't know about stuff at that wonderful, beautiful organic nursery. Uh, start with reading those and understand what you're doing. Because when you understand what you're doing and why you're doing it, then you can convey that message to your customer. Because your customer needs to be educated in order to understand why it's important to make the difference. The other thing is, have fun with what you're doing. Uh, you're going to hear a lot of buzz out there on, you know, oh, I'm an expert at this. I'm a Google marketer. I'm this, I'm that. No, 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 no. Nobody sells your business like you do. So if you're wanting to start doing this, it's going to, you're going to face some challenges. You're going to hit some roadblocks. Don't give up. Don't be scared. But the more you educate yourself, the more you can educate your customer, the more you win. And I, what's been kind of successful for me is just even sharing stuff as I learn it, right? So every time I learn something, I get to kind of share it with my customers and with my, my followers. And it's had great success. They're like, wow, I didn't know that either. I'm like, hey, I just learned this yesterday. <laughs> like, don't be afraid to admit you didn't know stuff. So how are you sharing it? Like on social media? Yes. Uh, for me personally, I use Facebook a lot. I use Instagram a little bit. Having a Google My Business profile helps. Having a good website helps. You don't have to spend thousands for one to be amazing. Um, I pay, you know, I'm not going to put that number out there, but I pay what I feel is like very little for an amazing, amazing product on online. But yes, I use social media a lot. That's how you came across me is my Facebook page. Yeah. And don't get all don't get all worried about using every single outlet. Find what works for you and nurture that. If people follow you on YouTube, use YouTube. People follow you on Facebook, use Facebook. If you have a Pinterest account, go for it. But don't get all stressed out because some people are gonna say, Well, you need to do all this. No, 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 no. Pick one or two and utilize it a lot. Yeah, that's great advice. I kind of, I kind of struggle with that. Sort of. I don't know. I've kind of picked Facebook. I, I try to get on Instagram and post on Instagram, but I struggle with Instagram. <laughs> um, the same way. I could have a whole lot more stuff on Instagram, and I don't. So. Well, the funny thing uh, is, like, when people ask me, like, there's actually more stuff about our garden on Instagram than anywhere. <laughs> maybe Facebook photos. I don't know, but I'm pretty sure like Mike asked me one day, he's like, so, so-and-so's mom wants to look at our website. I told him to go to organicgardenerpodcast.com, Right. And I'm like, um, actually, you know, there's like nothing about us on there. It's just about my guests, and my interviews. I was like, really the place that has the most pictures is Instagram. <laughs> so I do need to change that shift. But, um, yeah, that's the one funny thing about my site. Uh, well, I'll look that up because it's, <laughs> you're doing something amazing by getting on here with, uh, people like myself and helping share the message that you're helping to share. Right. Yeah. I but love my podcast. Was, I love my listeners. I love my guests. It's been the coolest way to meet people. To me, that's actually the way I meet people the most is through my podcast. Like on Saturday, I'm speaking at this free, the seeds event that we're having nearby. It's like my first speech. I'm so nervous, but, um, like a lot of the people that I'm going to see there are people I met that live really close to me that I would not know if it wasn't for my podcast. Like for me, that's almost my biggest social media thing. And I connect with other podcasters that I listen to that way. And then we belong in Facebook groups together. So I feel like I, I like Facebook too, but I know a lot of people are are moving away and going to fa Instagram, which I think is so funny because it's owned by Facebook, but whatever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, but I, I, I don't know. That, for me, the hard thing about Instagram is there's two things. One, you can't share things. And like, to me, that's how you connect. You share things, you comment on people's posts, you, you can't, you know, share thing, other people's stuff. And then the other thing about Instagram, you can't like, you can't load things from your computer. It's only mobile. And that's the other struggle I have. I would rather share things from my MacBook. Sometimes I like to share things from my phone, but 
I don't know. Anyway, I'm not going to, like, I shouldn't be debating Instagram versus Facebook. But I like your thing. Yeah, <laughs> don't get stressed out. Pick one place to be um, for sure. And I think it's important that you pick one that you do like. Uh, I don't know. But it's even good to know that if you're going to have a landscaping business, that it's good to promote it. Like, even if it's like, um, what do they call it? A brick and mortar business. Like, you actually have a place as compared to like an online business. Um, it's so important well, to use social media to educate your customers, which I always think is just huge. Like I think any business, the most important thing is educating your customers. And then there's like a rule to it, right? If you, if you're having any sort of business, uh, like a 2080 rule, educate and talk about different stuff. 80% of the time and 20% of the time, try and promote maybe a product or service. Don't sell people. People don't want to be sold. I'm not trying to sell anybody anything. If they want what I got, then that's amazing. But I don't want to sell it to you. <clears throat> so it's a it's a huge difference because you're going to hear from people. Oh, you need to you know set up this offer and do these ads and this and that and the other. I don't hardly run ads that much. And if I do, it's not even on something that I I sell. It's more on just information that I have. And that's what works for me anyway. And don't be afraid to make videos and be yourself. Like, just go out there and do it. Because I ask so many people, hey, will you do a video with me? Will you do a video with me? And a lot of people are like, oh, I can't do that. I'm scared. I'm like, why? No, no one's going to hurt you. Phone isn't going to attack you, I promise. <laughs> and But it is scary to do a video. The funny thing I had was, though, the very first video I ever uploaded to YouTube was, like, this how to do checkbook subtraction, I call it. Like, I don't know where I learned this. And, and so I did two videos, and it was so funny because I waited for so long for me to go get dry erase markers and, like, use my easel and have it all set up so people could see me. And then the other one I did was, like, just looking, kind of me holding it, and all you could see was my checkbook. And unanimously, everybody voted, we don't want to see you. You want to see the one with the checkbook. And so I stay out of my personal videos more than anybody. And I just kind of talk and have that camera faced away from me because I have that when I very first started out. Like, people don't really want to see me as much. <laughs> I don't know how true um, that is. I mean, that was a long time ago, but. Well, and, and that may have just been also having to do with the content of the video, right? Yeah, it could have been for sure. I think that was a huge part of it. So say if you were to do another video, but it had to do with your gardening or, or something outside or I don't, I don't know quite how to explain it, but because all my videos have me in it. <laughs> And unfortunately, I get lucky to have other people in my videos as well. Those go off without a hitch, I think is the term. Yeah. And so, you know, it could just very well be like the kind of content you, you had at the moment. If I had certain explainers, it wouldn't do me any justice to have me in the video um, versus what I may be trying to explain. You know? Yeah. So I would say... Go try it again. Because it, it, I don't know nothing about checkbooks. Okay, I do a little bit. I know some math. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I guess I, I would have to check out those videos to, to understand. Well, I still do it now. Thing. Like, almost any video I make, like, my camera, like, even if I'm in the garden and I'm showing the apple tree, like, rarely do I appear in any videos but then i don't really i haven't posted that many videos i guess i probably post them on facebook and here and there but mostly i just talk and like point the camera at like if we're talking about like how to pull garlic or how to dig up potatoes or like watching like look at all the butterflies on my echinacea plants like i just shoot it at the plants and you hear me talking in the background right but i think that's and, good uh, advice to do video and don't be worried about video for sure yeah, good. just go go out there, do what you're afraid of, get your feet wet, get dirty, yeah, and go spray molasses on everything, sweeten up your day. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so so so, like, you know, one one of the little slogans I have is, "Are you down with SSB?" Yeah, you know me. I don't know if you've ever heard the song. I think this is a rap song by Naughty by Nature. 
I won't go too far into that, but SSBUs support soil biology, right? And then the other thing is uh, with my business and hippie fertilizing, nobody knows grass like a hippie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that might be the perfect way to end this. (laughs) I like that. Uh, Well, tell listeners how to find your Facebook page and your website and all that kind of thing and how they can connect with you. Uh, HippieFertilizing.com is my website. You can also search on YouTube, Hippie Fertilizing. You can find my channel there. And if you're on Facebook, just search Hippie Fertilizing, and you'll find my business page. Or it's facebook.com backslash Hippie Fertilizing. You can also, I don't. to everything in the show notes. Oh, that's amazing. I really appreciate that. And I'm and what I would really it, love like, people where you can see it right from like the podcast app and you don't even have to go to my website. I think I finally figured out kind of how to do that. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, wow, I was going to say something. Oh, I would love it. Anybody and everybody who's interested in learning more about soils and organics and why to do this and why not to do that, go check out the groovy tips section of my website at hippiefertilizing.com. I have a lot of blogs there. They have amazing information on stuff from earthworms to molasses to uh, soil flocculation to six, you know, one of my favorite articles that we posted this year is six reasons why not to use weed and feed. You will find some of the stuff you may have already known, and then it's going to go a little bit deeper into stuff you probably didn't know. So definitely check that out. We have we have great information on there, and we have even more information going to come. We're kind of trying to start a series of things called Soil Buddies. And talking about why these things are important in your soil, like earthworms. They're gross. They're disgusting. Right? We don't want to touch them, but they're so, so, so vital to healthy soil. And maybe if we painted a different picture, people would see it in a different light and not be creeped out by it. And let's start with our kids because, like, it's so funny. Um, so two years ago, I was teaching in a second grade classroom, and my kids really wanted a class pet. And I was like, I'm going to get them a worm bin for a class pet because... I had like this pot in my corner um, of a classroom. This one teacher at the beginning of the fall had given me this huge petunia or mums or something and had been in the classroom. And then when the plant died, the bucket of dirt was still sitting in the corner and the kids kept playing it. I couldn't get them to stay out of there because they just loved digging up those worms. We ended up getting a guinea pig and a worm bin uh, for a class pet, which was great. The worm bin worked great. The kids loved it. Um, the guinea pig, of course, and then the, we could put the guinea pig poop right or the bedding right in the worm bin. Um, and it was perfect because my classroom was not near my home. So I could, it was a way to keep my compost, uh, to turn my compost where I didn't have my compost bin right outside my window. Anyway, absolutely. AJ, thank you so much for sharing with us today. I keep thinking this would make the most perfect bonus Earth Day episode because I always like to have a bonus Earth Day episode and like I actually have so many episodes in the bank that might be when it comes out but then the other part of me like wants to share this today like a raw live version not even edit it and just pack it up and put it out because I feel like you shared so many golden seeds and like I said this was a huge question I got asked last year and so much valuable information and just thank you so much for sharing with us today and being such a rock star um, millennial and environmentalist and steward of our planet and just I love my podcast because I get to connect with great people like you well that is amazing I very very much appreciate you having me on the show today and I would even say post it raw don't edit it at all okay uh, well maybe I will because sometimes I do do that and it's a good time for me to have some bonus episodes so uh this might be the perfect one. And then I can always replay it um, closer to summer or Earth Day. It could be like the bonus replay. Last yeah, that Earth would Day, be awesome. Joe Lample. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks, AJ. You have a wonderful day. You as well. Thank you so much. Sure. Okay. I'm shutting the recording. 
Don't forget to sign up for our live webinar. I'll be teaching on how to create your own organic oasis. Uh, just some easy tips to uh, just hitting some of the highlights from free organic garden course and just um, help you kind of figure out the way to create your own organic oasis, at least to get a plan put together. So join us. You sign up for the webinar and you'll get a checklist of what's in an organic oasis. And we hope to see you there. Hey there, green future growers. Would you like your friends and neighbors to create an organic oasis too? Would you like others in your area to learn about earth-friendly practices for their gardens and yards? If so, we would love it if you would share the Organic Gardener podcast with your local community or college radio station today. Thanks again for listening and remember, grow local.